Let's pray together. Or should I say praise together? Lord, we've done. It, it's been, our souls have been refreshed today. We thank you. And fathers, we were praying before I uh, neglected to lift up our brother Elijah to you. And so, Lord, we do lift him up to you right now. And we ask God that you would protect his knee, protect the rest of his body parts as he's going through training as well. We ask God that you would give him a, a keen eye um, as to who he needs to mentor. Pray, Lord, that you would lead him and guide him. Lord, I pray that you would help him to have an, an ever-strengthening, ever-deepening commitment to your word, to prayer, and to be mentored by, by godly men and to mentor others who need mentoring. So we thank you also for his roommate. And I pray, Father, that you would help them as brothers in Christ to worship you, to enjoy your presence together forever. And we just thank you, Father, for these things. And now I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand a little bit more about you, Lord Jesus, being being God's lamb on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is Christmas 2020 message. Number two, two of four, Christ as the Lamb of God. As we know in this series of messages, to prepare us to worship the Lord on December 25th, we're only glancing at the birth of Jesus, but we're gazing on who he was before he was born, and even now as he sits at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to spend some time in, the next, in, in a couple of weeks actually proclaiming Christ as the Lion of of the tribe of Judah, returning to earth in great power and glory. Again, Jesus isn't a baby. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. You know, and speaking of Christ's return, I, for one, am longing for that now more than ever before. One day, as we know, the Lord is going to crack the sky, and he's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to set up his kingdom that will have no end. In that day, all elections will cease. No ballots ever again. King Jesus won't run for election. He won't run for re-election. Every political rival gloriously will be met with the rod of iron. Praise God for the soon return of his son. Last week, though, we took the time to see Christ as creator the Word of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. We marvel at the display of the miracles He brought about, the miracle of creation through His Word, the miracle of the incarnation, the Word of God, Messiah Jesus, made flesh, and the miracle of salvation of His people because of the death and resurrection of Christ, the Word of God, made flesh. Today, we glance at the birth of Christ as a baby sheep, the Lamb of God. And who better to include in our story today than the experts of all things sheep, the shepherds. Remember how the angels told them, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Indeed, we will remind ourselves today that Savior and God's Lamb have a vital connection because it took God's Lamb to save us. Now, this is not a new thing. This idea of Christ as Savior, referred to as the Lamb, was introduced not in the New Testament, but all the way back 
in the Garden of Eden, where God spilled the blood of innocent animals because of our sin. And as we review the story of the announcement to the shepherds, we may get a clue as to when and actually where Christ was born. And spoiler alert, I heard that earlier today. Jesus was not born on December 25th. You knew that, right? And just like the tradition of the visit of the Magi on the day of Christ's birth, that's what the tradition says, but we know that they did not visit him then. December 25th as Jesus' birthday is only a tradition as well. Most likely, he was not even born in the wintertime, and we'll see that. Well, today I want us to return, though, to the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2. We're not going to read it. I want to refer to it, though. And I want to make a couple comments in passing, and then I want to let us know where we're going today in the message. And my prayer is that we will gain a much deeper appreciation for who the Lamb of God is. And that will hopefully lead us into a a deeper worship of the Lord for his grace and his mercy being poured out upon us by the blood of his son. But there's a reason why God inspired Moses to write the creation story. In a word, witness. See, by the time the people of Israel came on the scene, a number of long-standing pagan religions was ongoing. The gods of people worshipped were very bloody, very uncertain, very shallow objects of worship. But that's what happens when we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, practically all the pagan religions had three things in common. First, they were polytheistic. The people worshipped many gods. And so when God's people came on the scene and all their neighbors saw that they only worshipped one God, and by the way, that God claimed superiority over all the other Objects of worship that the people around them worshipped. That was a totally radical thing and a very threatening thing as well. And second, the worshippers of pagan gods saw the gods as just bigger versions of themselves. Kind of like superheroes. And ironically, the pagans also saw their gods afflicted with the same frustrations and problems and fickleness that they themselves had. Totally unworthy of worship. And in the words of Hulk, when he pounded Loki into the ground in one of the Avengers movies, they were truly puny gods. And the third thing I want to point out about the pagan religions of Israel's neighbors is what it took to please the gods as in offering sacrifices. Sometimes it was animal sacrifices, and all too often it was human sacrifice. There was a long-standing meme built into the paganism regarding this very thing. And the prophet Micah, who ministered to God's people about 800 B.C., actually quoted this meme in Micah 6, 7. Here's what he says. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body for the sin of my soul? Horrifically, the pagan priests taught the worshipers that the gods were so unpredictable and that on a whim, what they required was that parents sacrifice their already born children to the pagan fires. Now, abortion is unspeakable. But infanticide, especially infanticide by fire, there are no words for that. No words. But this is what the pagan gods required. Enter the Torah, though. 
the Torah, the truth of the living God who inspired Moses to write it down. A blessed relief to the contrast to the pagan practices of the day. God wanted the pagans to know the truth for two reasons. First, to get the story straight, especially as the one who was actually in charge. And through God's people and his written word, the truth had a platform from which to proclaim a witness to the pagans around them. And one thing I deeply appreciate, though, about the Lord is this, the amazing dignity that he has given all of us. See, we all have the ability to make real choices. We're not robots, mechanically programmed to do as well. And though we're fallen and deeply flawed, God allows us the freedom to choose our own way in this world, whether to receive eternal life and follow him or to refuse him in his ways and live our own lives. By the way, we don't have the freedom to choose the consequences, though. Scripture makes it clear, though, that God, through his servants, tells his people to choose. Moses told the people that God set before them life and death. Choose life, Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Joshua gave a challenge to the people at the end when they were settled in the land. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24. And who can forget Elijah's challenge to God's wavering people in 1 Kings 18? He said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And the point is that as image bearers of God, he gave us the ability to make real choices that affect our destiny, our eternal destiny. Indeed, if the Lord is God, follow him. Again, getting the truth out to the pagans was a major reason why God inspired Moses to write the creation story. Second reason for the the Torah being written down and presenting it to uh, not only God's people, but really uh, allowing other people to see it, was that he wanted the people to know what was required of him by way of sacrifice. Human sacrifice, God said, never even entered into his mind when it came to people giving him a gift of sacrifice. But he did require sacrifice for sin. Now, this offering was primarily through a lamb. Other animals were sacrificed, to be sure, but there was something about lambs that God often singled out for sacrifice. It was a picture of what the Lord wanted to show the world of, of how to get rid of sin. And so today, we're going to take a quick trip through God's photo album, as it were, and look at several snapshots about sacrificial lambs in action, all pointing with increasing clarity to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each snapshot because the clock is so unkind. But it's my prayer that for us that we will gain a profound appreciation of God's Lamb and what He did and why He did it. My prayer is that we'll regain or gain a renewed commitment to the Lord and a warmth of relationship with Him who cared so much for us to actually send his lamb, who takes away not only our sin, but also the sin of the world. Our first picture is found in the Garden of Eden. The first sin 
Adam and Eve directly disobeyed the Lord God. Now, he gave them a warning, though, before they sinned. He said, in the day that you eat of the fruit is the day that you're going to die. Now, we know that Adam and Eve were super intelligent, right? Super intelligent. They didn't call it the fall for nothing. They were super intelligent. But did they even have a clue of what death was? They had no models to follow. Death wasn't a thing then at all, anywhere. They probably didn't know what that meant. And so after they ate the fruit, God called them to account. He cursed them on a day. But when that fateful day was done, they were still alive. And they woke up the next morning, not dead. That's what happens when you're not dead. You wake up the next morning, right? But makes one go, hmm, why is it that they were still alive? Because God says in the day that you eat is the day that you're going to die. How is this? Was God a liar? I don't think so. However, a death did occur. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. They did not suffer death. Adam and Eve didn't. But who did and what did? Innocent animals suffered death. Well, how does all that work? Simple but profound answer is this. Substitution. Substitution. The animals took the place of guilty sinners. And they were still alive, but the animals were dead. The next picture is Exodus 12. The night of the 10th plague, God was going to levy upon Pharaoh because he refused to let God's people go. And of course, as we know, that 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. That night, the Lord would send the angel of death on the land. No one was exempt. Before the sun rose, the next day, every household would experience someone dead unless God's Passover procedure was followed. In short, the blood of a killed innocent lamb was to be displayed on the doorpost of the house. And when the angel saw the blood of the lamb, the angel would pass over that family and the life of the firstborn would be spared. But it was a five-day process. Five days. A year-old, one-year-old lamb was chosen on the 10th of the month, one without blemish. This lamb was brought into the house. And on the fifth day, the father would take a knife and kill the lamb. Why the five-day delay? Could it be that the lamb would be sort of like a pet, accepted into the family as part of the family? What would life be like for the kids to have their lamb killed? Can you imagine the questions? The sorrow. Mom, Dad, why are you doing this? Dad, why are you doing this? Killing this lamb that I love. Why are you doing this? This innocent lamb killed for me to protect me from the angel of death. And as God promised, the angel of death came. When he saw the blood, he passed over the home. And the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, God's people then were spared because the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb. Fast forward many centuries. 
in writing about the Messiah, Isaiah says something significant about his relationship to not just his people, not just Israel, but also to the entire world. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase and of his government, and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, in this passage, it's in the context of the chapter where Messiah will be ministering to a land belonging to the Gentiles. The prophet calls it the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. In other words, Messiah will indeed be a benefit for every person on the planet and not just Israel. Then came that glorious night. It had been right at 40 weeks since Gabriel told Mary she would bear the Messiah. And on March 20th, 6 BC, myriads of angels appeared to shepherds, but they were no ordinary shepherds. They were what was known as Levitical shepherds or temple shepherds. And their job was to tend the flocks, members of which would be used for sacrifice in the temple to include Passover. And their job was extremely vital in the life of the Jews. God said that the lamb must be without spot or blemish, and they were in charge of making sure that was so. And so I want us to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 18, as we read some of this of what we know as the Christmas story, okay? Chapter 2, 10 to 18 of Luke. It's a, as we know, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. Imagine being a shepherd on that night. <laughs> so Luke 2, 10 to 18. And the angel said to them, shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Wait a minute. Don't fear. Great joy. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. That will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ or Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, if you've been with us over the past couple of years, you know that I've been sharing around Christmas time the amazing information about temple shepherds and swaddling clothes and birthing caves and all that kind of things. And the information I'm about ready to share with you is from a guy named Dr. James Scudder. He's a Baptist pastor. He's an author. And here's what he says. He says, due to recent archaeological evidence in Israel, we now know that what these signs the angels declared to the shepherds pointed to. If swaddling cloths were a common practice after the birth of a child, because it was, they would wrap the the kid up, you know, keep him comfortable and snug and all that kind of thing. If that was a sign, 
It was a common practice. And how would this indeed be a sign? It was just normal. If a, sta- if a manger were a feeding trough for stable animals, that wouldn't be a special sign either. Instead, together, they pinpointed the exact place where the shepherds could find baby Jesus. And Scudder continues, these signs pointed to the, sh- to the shepherds to a structure called the Tower of the Flock. The Tower of the Flock was on the outskirts of Bethlehem and overlooked the fields in which the Levitical shepherds, temple shepherds, kept their flocks for the temple. And when a sheep was about ready to give birth, it was taken to the tower. The newborn lambs were placed in a manger, not a feed box, wooden feed box, but it was a clean stone bed to be examined with swaddling cloths, white linens, which would be used to find blemishes. Because the sacrifices had to be without spot or blemish, much care was taken to make sure that these lambs were free of any infirmities. And Scudder says that there was only one place in Bethlehem that had the manger and swaddling cloths, just like they had mentioned it. Again, that was the tower of the flock. And he continues, the shepherds immediately recognized the signs as they were implements that they were familiar with. They would have had no problem finding the babe since they knew exactly where he was. Amazing to me. And Scudder finishes his thought this way. How incredible is it that the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, was born in the exact place that the sacrificial lambs in the temple were born. In addition to all of this, in one of the Jewish writings, there was a prediction that the Messiah, indeed, would make himself known from the tower of the flock. But time passes so fast. We can't really dwell on this, so I'd love to. But now we need to move forward from Jesus' birth to the bare beginnings of his ministry when he appeared publicly. One day he meets John the Baptist. And John introduces the Lord this way. In John 1.29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one whom the Lord called to be the forerunner of the Messiah introduced him to the world by calling him the Lamb of God. It's instructed to remember that John did a whole lot of baptizing. That's why he was called what? John the Baptist. Yes. His baptism was a baptism for repentance from sin. But Jesus' mission was to separate people from sin, to take it away. Just like the Father showed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, substitution, where an innocent one would die for the sake of another, so it was with Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. He was to be the substitute for us sinners. In order for the Lamb of God to take away sin, He would be the one to die for us. And that's exactly what He did. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was communicating. So fast forward to about three years later of Jesus' ministry. Palm Sunday, the 10th of the month with Passover on the 14th. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy of their king coming to them. In Zechariah 9.9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. 
well, how the people adored him. Palm branches, putting their own clothing on the ground for the donkey to walk on, complete with shouts of, Hosanna, save us. And one would think that would be a very happy time for Jesus, that Jesus would be grinning from ear to ear. But it wasn't. What did Jesus do? He wept over the city. Why would that be? Remember what had happened in the, in the Exodus, how God said, take a lamb on the 10th, bring it into the home for five days, treat like a family member, and then kill the lamb. Lamb selection day was the 10th when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Now, a lot of people accepted Jesus. A lot of people admired Jesus. But the religious establishment who had power to do away with Jesus rejected him completely. And through Jesus' tears, he said, they did not recognize the time of your visitation. He offered himself to them as their Messiah, but they rejected him And so I want us to turn to Matthew. You were in Luke now. Turn to Matthew. One book back, of course, Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. And we'll see this here. We'll see this denouncement, the scariest words that Jesus could have pronounced here. After they rejected him, here's what he said. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as a direct result of Jewish leadership rejecting Christ as Messiah, Jesus tells them that their house is left to them desolate. No protection from the wrath of God. A couple days later, Jesus is led like a lamb to the slaughter. He, the sinless one, died in place of sinners as the sin of the world was placed on his shoulders. His death took place. Ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m. At that exact same time, the high priest took a knife to kill the Passover lamb. And Jesus cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. The work of salvation was done, not through the lamb of the temple, but through the lamb on the cross. And gloriously, God's lamb rose again three days later, never to die again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now the ascended Lord will be the eternal reminder of the grace of God for all of us. Eternal reminder. In Revelation 5, 6, the first time John encounters the lamb, after he's told, come up here, he sees the vision of the throne room of God. And John says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He, King of kings, Lord of lords, the mighty one who was worthy to open the scroll, the title deed of the earth, the Messiah who overcame death and now has the keys of death in Hades, it is this one who stands as though it had been slain. 
Imagine that. It's been said that the only man-made things in heaven will be the scars that we have placed on Jesus. But that's not all. One day, the lamb will roar as a lion. He will return to smash his enemies, set up his kingdom, and sit on his throne. This is Jesus, no longer a babe, but the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so what do we do with this? (laughs) What do we do with this? Let me give us two points to take to heart. First, how deeply do we appreciate the sacrifice of God's lamb slain for you and me? I believe that the answer to that question is directly tied to the second question, the second point to ponder. How deeply have you felt the weight of your sin in the sight of holy, almighty God? The one who not only provides for you and loves you deeply, but is also pure beyond pure. When was the last time we recoiled in horror over our sin and cried out for our deliverance? See, the sons and daughters of Jacob were enslaved for hundreds of years. Hard labor. They cried out for for deliverance from their bondage. And when was the last time you were so sick of your sin that you begged God to deliver you from your bondage? Jesus tells us the truth. He loves us enough to do that. One day, he was having dinner. At the house of Simon, a Pharisee. As he sat at the table, a woman of ill repute came in, and she was struck at the sight of the Messiah. She began to feel the weight of her sin and began to weep uncontrollably. Puddles of tears ran over the feet of Jesus. And she unbound her hair and began to dry his feet and anoint his feet with perfume. The Pharisee Simon used that very tender moment to attack Jesus in his heart. See, Simon was too good of a person to be moved by the tears, probably fake tears from this perspective of a prostitute. If Jesus were a real prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this is that is touching him. Then Jesus, reading his mind, gave Simon a parable. And Jesus answering him, he said, Simon, I got something to say to you. I don't think he was ready for this answer. He said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the the, the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. You were right, he said. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was a huge disrespect there. But she has wet my feet with her tears. 
and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon. Here's the truth. The depth of the love that we have for the Lamb of God and others goes as far as we have realized the depth of our own spiritual poverty and wickedness and sin. How deeply do you love the Lamb of God who's taken away your sin? Now, of course, I know just about every one of you in here, so I don't know. All I know is what, how you presented yourself to me. And only you know, and God knows, where you really stand with the Lord. I've got every confidence that you know Christ, but I'm not God. I don't know. I don't know your heart, not fully. And those who are watching, those who are with the sound of my voice, I, I can imagine there are some who, are, who don't know the Lord. But those who don't know Christ, let me give you a warning I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that, you know, you know, with any high-handedness at all. But here's a warning that God wants me to give you, I believe. See, the wrath of God is coming upon all unrighteousness. God loves, but He's holy. He will perfectly take care of sin wherever He finds it and His pure, perfect eyes miss nothing. Right now, if you've not come to Christ like this woman did, desperate of the need for forgiveness, for Christ to take your sin away as the Lamb of God, it's just a matter of time till the blast furnace of His wrath will consume you. But it won't be a consuming and there's nothing left. It will be an eternal consuming. The truth is, all of us will either be consumed by the blast furnace of his wrath or we will have found shelter in the Lamb of God. But the time to find shelter in him is now. It will be too late one second after we die, after you die, after I die. One second, too late. And all of us who have embraced the Lamb of God, who have had our sins taken care of, we are now standing in the shelter of the Lamb of God. He will protect us from the wrath of God to come. So my question for all of us is, where are you right now? Where am I? Apart from the Lamb or in Him, behind Him? See, the wrath could come at any time. And we need to be ready. And so I think it's appropriate here, and again, those who are, who are watching, it's appropriate at this time that we take a moment to reflect on this. In a moment, I want us to do business with the Lord Jesus, God's Lamb, who's taken away the sin of the world. And my question is, have you come to Him is your sin taken away 
because you have repented of your sin and you've embraced the gospel because that's the only way it can happen. If he has taken your sin away, how are you treating him? I quoted for you a part of Michael Card's song last week to the mystery. And part of it goes like this, God incarnate and man deified is the creator. It's Christ the creator. But let me quote for you the third stanza and then we'll ask the Lord to do business in our lives. But let, again, let me offer you an opportunity. Again, I know most of you. I don't know your hearts though. But if you've never really embraced the Lamb of God, and you never really come to him and said, I need forgiveness found only in you. Well, I want you to do something brave. As we do business with God, I want you to stand. And by standing, you're saying, I recognize I need the Lamb to take away my sin. And here now I repent of my sin. And here now I am following him. Make a stand. Not going to be any glitz and glamour, no fog machines, no lights. No soft music. But if God has got a hold of your heart and you want to say, I want the Lamb of God to take my sin away, just stand as we do business with the Lord and as the Lord does business to us. Here now, Michael Cards to the mystery, third stanza. Because the fall did devastate, creator now must recreate. And so to take our sin was made like us so we could be like him. That is the mystery, more than you can see. Give up on your pondering and fall down on your knees. And with that said, let's spend just a moment asking the Lord to help us to know exactly where we stand with the Lamb of God. Once again, this is your opportunity. If you've never embraced the Lamb of God to take away your sin, this is your opportunity, even right now, to make that stand for Him. Lamb of God. All of us are in desperate need of you taking our sin away from us. And many of us have done this in the past. And the question that was asked earlier stands, how have we treated you, Lord? Some of us do our religious thing and check the box and We go about our business. That's not your way for us, Lord. Your way for us is to follow you. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. But yet you as the Lamb of God, you don't invite us, but you demand that we follow you as the Lamb. So, Lord, today our emotions have been moved. There's no doubt about that. 
I praise you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room. I praise you, my brothers and sisters who've tuned in, Facebook Live or wherever. And Lord Jesus, we praise you. We give you glory and honor and blessing. But Lord, it's easy to say words. Sometimes we say words, we don't even mean them. But Lord, I pray that from the depth of our being, that we would be giving you the praise. And Lord, if we are, and that's going to show in the way that we live. You tell us, Lord, in your word, that if we have your commandments and we keep them, that's the way that we prove to you that we love you. Lord Jesus, you loved Primarily, you love the Father, and you went to the cross for his sake while your blood was poured out for our sake. So, Lord, I pray that as uh, blood-bought saints, we would demonstrate that we are following the Lamb and following the Lamb only. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us your life And we want to say to you, Lord, that we give our lives in return. So, Lord, thank you again. Thank you for allowing us to live in this world at this time. And, Lord, you called us for such a time as this to make a stand of righteousness and truth and and love and and all those things that the world needs to see. Because, Lord, all the gods that they worship are the gods that will only do nothing more than harm them. Lord God, you are the one who loves, really loves. You are the one who provides, really provides. You're the one who really satisfies. Thank you again for allowing us to be in your presence to worship you today. And I thank you now, Lord, for this time as we come together to sing, that we would sing, Lord, praise to you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray, Lord, as we give, that we will give because it's an act of worship to you. Thank you for these things, Lord. Take them. May you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.